Brush up your Shakespeare. Start quoting him now. Brush up your Shakespeare. And no women, you will wow. Just declaim a few lines. Hello, Shannon Riley here, inviting you to join me every Sunday here on KSCF as I talk Shakespeare on Shannon Shakespeare Sunday. Every Sunday at 8 and 8, archived here at Kansas 785 Live, as well as on my own website, ShannonJRiley.com. Join me and let's talk a little bit about the bar on KSCF every Sunday, 8 to 8. listening to KSEF, a digital broadcast in Topeka, brought to you by 785 Magazine. Learn more at 785live.com. And now it's time for Shannon Shakespeare Sunday with your host, my daddy, Shannon Riley. Thank you, BB. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Shannon Shakespeare Sunday right here on KSEF Digital Radio 75Live.com. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you all for tuning in to another exciting and thrill-packed episode as we talk through the works of the greatest writer ever lived, William Shakespeare. Now, it's probably my last weekend to have a chance to do this, so I'm going to do this pretty hard here. I don't want you to just listen to my podcast about Shakespeare. I want you to experience Shakespeare. And those of you in the Topeka area have a great opportunity coming up this very week, May 29th at NOTO, the North Topeka Arts District. We will be presenting an all-female production of Midsummer's Night Dream at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's Saturday, May 29th, 3 o'clock. It's absolutely free. It's about an hour and a half long version of the show with some of the finest female actors that exist and live here in Northeast Kansas. So we want everybody to please come on out, bring a chair, sit down, relax, and enjoy a very funny comedy done by some really wonderful, wonderful people. I'm very excited to see this first production of The Lady Shakes Company take stage with A Midsummer's Night Dream by William Shakespeare. Don't miss it, okay? Please be there. All right, today we're talking about As You Like It, one of Shakespeare's most successful comedies, at least to a modern age. We're not really certain how the audiences took it in Shakespeare's time. We do know that it was probably written around 1599 and might indeed have been the very first play to open their brand new theater, The Globe. It also might have been the very first play that introduced a brand new clown to their company, a man by the name of Arnim. He replaced Will Kemp, who left the theater company when he felt he was not getting enough money for his great comic work. He was the number one comic of the time. So imagining someone stepping into those big shoes to take over as the lead clown for the most prominent performing theater company in London, the Lord Chamberlain's men at the time. And that big shoes that had to be filled were filled by Arnhem, who many people believe was actually a dwarf, or at least very, very short. But he had three things going for him. One is he had a beautiful voice. He sang like an angel. Two, he had the ability to play about any instrument he wanted to. And three, he was uniquely funny. You'll notice from here on out, Shakespeare's clowns are not as bombastic, not as loud. They're much more cerebral. They ask questions. They play word games. This was Arnhem. He had a subtlety to his work. And that was the way these clowns would be played throughout the rest of Shakespeare's life. 
Now, As You Like It, as I said, is one of the most successful plays in contemporary audiences. It's still being done quite a bit. Uh, you can see it done in a lot of different places. As a matter of fact, this play was a play that I myself was in the middle of directing when the pandemic hit. It had to get shut down. Very much hoping that we can return to As You Like It very, very soon and get it up on the boards again because I had a great cast. And I've always wanted to do this show. It's called Shakespeare's Pastoral Comedy because it takes place almost entirely in the forest. And it's the Forest of Arden, which a lot of people point to as being another symbol that Shakespeare wrote Shakespeare. His mother was an Arden. Her home was in the Forest of Arden. But you need to also remember that there was a Forest of Arden in France. It was spelled differently. This play does take place in a duchy in France. So was Shakespeare using this French forest, or was he thinking of his own pastoral forest that he grew up in? We don't really know, except that he spelled it like the Forest of Arden of his youth. But back in the Elizabethan period, spelling didn't matter. One of the things I love about the Elizabethans, you could spell something any way you wanted as long as people got that point across to you. Shakespeare himself signed his name seven different ways, and none of them were the way we spell Shakespeare today. So, language and spelling had a long way to go before they were solidified to our modern understanding. Let's talk about As You Like It. It's, it's a very sweet comedy and quite subtle. It was based on a long poem called Rosalind's Ephesus Golden Legacy, written in 1586 or maybe 1587, somewhere in that area. And it was published in 1590. It would have been very popular and known to Shakespeare in London. But that poem itself was based on a very old, old tale called The Tale of Gamelin. And The Tale of Gamelin features a character by the name of Gamelin, who was a servant of Jove. Gamelin was kind of a, um, well, it was considered kind of homoerotica. And Shakespeare uses that name changes it a little bit for a very unique and funny reason, which I'm going to get into in just a moment here. Let's get sucked right into As You Like It. Now, as I said, it was probably written about 1599, and many people believe it could have been the very first play written and performed for their brand new theater, the Globe Theater in London. Matter of fact, carved into the Globe was a phrase from As You Like It that was slightly bastardized, and that was, all the Globe's a stage. That, of course, leads us to the famous quotes of As You Like It, and I introduce my boy, Finn, where he says... And now, the Shakespeare quote of the week. That's right, the Shakespeare quote of the week. Now, the most famous quote from As You Like It is called The Seven Ages of Man speech, and it starts with, All the world's a stage, and all the men and women are merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. I love this speech. It's rather long. I'm not going to do the whole thing for you because it deserves an actor, not me. But it is a very wonderful speech that kind of breaks down how we are born, live, and eventually die, all the way tottering into old age, in a very sanguine and almost sad way. But it's still, it's very funny and a beautiful speech. There's some really other great quotes from As You Like It. For instance, Celia says in Act 1, Scene 2, Well said. That was laid on with a trowel. <laughs> Another one I really love is, How full of briars are the workaday world? That's Rosalind, Act 1, Scene 3. It has one of the phrases that we use all the time now. It has the phrase, Forever in a day, spoken by Orlando in Act 4, Scene 1. And then I also love this quote from Rosalind in Act 3, Scene 5. I pray you, do not fall in love with me, for I am falser than the vows made in wine. There's some beautiful writing in this play. It's very 
very sweet and very funny. And he borrows here, Shakespeare does, even old motifs he's already used. You're going to see things that even going back to his early career with Two Gentlemen of Verona, he repeats some motifs there. But he does it so much better here and really creates a very, very sound play. So let's get started by first I'm going to go through the scenario of the play and so you can understand or at least have a passing knowledge of what happens in the play. Don't forget though when we do it at TCT, come see it. The play as I said is set in a small duchy in France. It's a, a smaller kingdom ruled by a duke or a duchess. But most of the action takes place in what's called the Forest of Arden. Now in this duchy is being ruled by Frederick and Frederick has usurped his own brother the Duke Senior and has taken over his kingdom and exiled his older brother who is now living in the forest of Arden with a few select followers. Living with Frederick is of course his only daughter Cecilia and her cousin Duke Senior's only daughter Rosalind. They grew up together, they're like sisters and then because they were so close Frederick didn't banish her but now she's of adult age and he doesn't trust her so he's decided she must be banished and leave the kingdom just as his brother had to go. Before she goes, however, she falls in love with a beautiful young man by the name of Orlando. And Orlando has his own problems. He's a young gentleman in the kingdom who is entitled to a certain amount of money from his very wealthy father who has died. But his older brother, Oliver, controls that fortune and refuses to give Orlando his own stake of the pie, as it were. So Orlando tries to make way on his own and decides he is going to make money wrestling. He's a very strong man. He thinks he can win about. In order to make sure that he doesn't, Oliver has one of his thugs approach the wrestler and say, by the way, as you're wrestling today, it's okay if there's an accident and Orlando is killed. They go in to wrestle as young gentlemen do in the court and the Duke watches on. They are all making bets and wagers. And of course, Orlando is certain to be doomed by this much better, bigger, stronger wrestler. But Orlando outwits him and he succeeds and wins and actually kills the other wrestler. Frederick doesn't like this. He finds it very threatening and he too says Orlando must leave his kingdom. Rosalind, learning that she's been banished from the kingdom, decides that she must leave but it's dangerous to travel the world as a woman. So she disguises herself as a boy and changes her name to Gamamede, remember the page of Jove. Cecilia decides she does not want her cousin to leave without support, so she goes along with her but stays dressed as a lady. She disguises herself as a poor lady in fact. In the meantime, they also take along their court fool, Touchstone. I love Touchstone. It's one of my favorite clowns. It's my one of my favorite names in all of Shakespeare, Touchstone. It's such a great name for this clown because like a piece of flint, a spark of wit is within him the entire play. There's so many word games he plays and ideas he has that he twists and turns to his own benefit. And he does not want to go in the woods. Life in the court is really good for Touchstone. He gets really good food, really good wine, the last thing he wants is to be banished into the woods. But Cecilia insists, and off the three of them go into the woods to try to find Orlando, Rosalind's love. Now Rosalind and Cecilia don't immediately run into the Duke. Instead they meet Corin. And Corin is an impoverished tenant. And he lives in the woods, he's a shepherd. The two ladies agree to buy his master's crude cottage. Orlando, in the meantime, takes along his servant Adam, a very old man who should not be wandering through the woods. 
and they soon come upon the Duke and his men, including the character of Jacques, who's a very malcontent figure. He's always depressed, always a little sad, and he lives in the woods. Matter of fact, the first time we see him, he's crying over the death of a deer that they've had to kill for their own food. Jacques is able to convince the boys to go with him and the Duke and to live with them in the forest. On a side note, which is really interesting, the role of Adam, the old man who is taken into the woods as a servant to Orlando, is believed to have been played by William Shakespeare himself. Very often, Shakespeare played a lot of the smaller roles in his own plays, so he could watch it as it was being progressed and serve as both playwright and a director of kind as he creates the show. Some people believe that that's apocryphal, that there's no proof that Shakespeare played that role, but I rather like this story. Now, Rosalind soon comes upon her love, Orlando, and she's disguised as a boy herself, Ganymede, and she decides to try to help him overcome his lovesickness and teach him how to please a woman in love. So, he asks who his love is, and he says a beautiful Rosaline. Very happy with this, she decides to pretend she's Rosalind herself, and so they can practice what it's like to make love to a woman. By make love, I mean speak sweet poetic things and profess your love, not anything naughty. That's what is funny about the Ganymede name here. Now keep in mind, in Shakespeare's time, all of the women's roles were played by boy actors. So you had a boy pretending to be a woman, pretending to be a boy, pretending to be a woman. That's that sexual flow of Ganymede and why Shakespeare uses that name. His audience would have been well aware of it. And this is another thing about As You Like It. It's so tongue-in-cheek, it's like the actors know they're in a play. Often they turn and address the audience as if they're all on the, in on the joke themselves. It's a rather unique way of looking at this play. So meanwhile, there's a shepherdess named Phoebe, who Silvius, another shepherd, is madly in love with. And Ganymede, again that's Rosalind in disguise, tries to show him how to love Phoebe. But Phoebe falls madly in love with Ganymede. Touchstone, the clown, by the way, has fallen in love with a dull-witted shepherdess by the name of Aubrey. And he tries to woo her, but she refuses to go anywhere with him or do any hanky-panky until they are married. So, of course, they bring in a priest to marry the two of them. But Aubrey has her own paramour. His name is William, and he's another shepherd, and he has been in love with Aubrey for years. All right, so we're through most of the play right now. They're all in the woods. All these different love stories are interconnected and coming to a head. We're going to find out how it works out on the other side, and then I'm going to give you some more information about As You Like It after this short break. Thank you for tuning in to Shannon Shakespeare Sunday on KSEF Digital Radio, and we'll be right back. Right here is where I would say now for a brief word from our sponsors, but I'm just sitting here waiting for you to put words in my mouth. So for advertising opportunities, go to 785live.com. Welcome back to Shannon Shakespeare Sunday right here on KSEF Digital Radio, 785live.com. 
Today we're talking about As You Like It, a very wonderful, sweet pastoral comedy written by William Shakespeare, probably in 1599. We know it was published in the first folio, but that's the only place it was published. That would have been 1623. And a lot of people believe the reason why it was not published prior to that time was because Shakespeare's men wanted to keep this play for themselves. They wanted it in their repertoire and continue to use it again and again suggesting it was a fairly popular play for the time. It's a fairly popular play today, too. I want to finish talking about the synopsis of the play itself first. We have the shepherdess named Phoebe, who Sylvius desperately loves, but she's fallen in love with Gamamede, who's really Rosalind in disguise. Meanwhile, Rosalind is still madly in love with Orlando, but he thinks his new friend Gamamede is a boy and not Rosalind herself. So these love stories start to come to a head. Finally, Sylvius, Phoebe, Gamamede, and Orlando are brought together, and it seems they need to fight and figure out who gets to be with who. Orlando wants none of them and he doesn't see how this concerns him. So Ganymede comes up with a way to solve the problem. First, Ganymede has Orlando promise to marry Rosalind, which he does. And Phoebe is then forced to promise to marry Sylvius if she cannot marry Ganymede. This is all agreed to. Before we get to the conclusion of that story, however, we find Orlando leaving the group. He sees someone in the forest. And as he goes off, he finds his older brother, Oliver, the very man who had banished him to the forest. He's asleep under a tree and about to be attacked by a lioness. A lioness in France. (laughs) Anyway, Orlando jumps in and again, keep in mind, he was strong, powerful. He was able to wrestle the lion and force it to run off, leaving his older brother, Oliver, alive. This causes Oliver to repent for everything he ever did to Orlando. Oliver then meets Elenia. That was a false identity that Cecilia picked up when they moved into the woods. And he falls madly in love with her. And they agree to marry. Everybody gets married very quickly in these Shakespeare comedies. Orlando and Rosalind, Oliver and Celia, Silvius and Phoebe, and Touchdown and Aubrey are all married in the final scene, once Rosalind reveals who she really is. After all of these wonderful marriages are accomplished and everybody comes together in loving grace, we discover that Duke Frederick has also repented his faults. He has returned the legitimacy to his brother and the dukedom reverts to the Duke Senior, while Frederick himself happens to suddenly find God and adopts a religious life. Everyone decides to head back out of the woods and back to the duchy to reform their lives in the court. Everybody except the melancholic Jacques. He decides to stay behind, preferring to stay in the forest and adopt a religious life as well. Rosalind then gives a quick epilogue to the audience, thanking them all for watching their tale. It's a moment in Shakespeare's plays where he addresses the audience. He does this in Midsummer's Night Dream too, at the very end when Puck comes out and thanks the audience for attending their story. Here he repeats this idea. Just all these moments are found in the play where he recognizes, the characters recognize, they're in a play. It's a unique comedy and still very funny today. And that's one of the things I want to talk about. First, I want to talk about the uniqueness of this play being about 55% verse and 45% prose. Now, when you spoke verse in plays, it was usually considered courtly love. It was meant for elevated characters. It was dukes and duchesses who spoke this language. It wasn't meant for common people. That's where you use blank verse or just prose. This is not the case in this play. Shakespeare shifts it. He has the Frederick, the Duke, Oliver. All of those people speak more in blank verse, but he saves his most poetic and most beautiful language for the woods and for the love affairs that are going on in the woods. By doing this to his audience, he is elevating these secondhand characters to the level of nobility. 
We are now suddenly in the presence of grace, beautiful thinkers with beautiful language who are able to express themselves so eloquently. This was the gift of William Shakespeare, his ability to write this language and put it into the mouths of even the most common men. And audiences must have found it amazing, certainly unique. Also, there was a structure in the time of Elizabethan England where if you were a comedy, you had to end in a marriage, and if you were a drama, you had to end in a funeral. Here, he ends again in three marriages. Shakespeare really hits this marriage bit hard in his next few comedies. He ends them in marriage, all right, but it's never one is enough. But the other thing I want to talk about is Shakespeare and his comedies. Now, here's the thing I want to talk about. I, I have this argument with a few friends of mine every now and then, but that is simple argument that starts with the phrase, why is that funny? Now, when we think of Shakespeare and you go to any common person and you say to them, name some Shakespeare plays, they're going to say Hamlet, Othello, Macbeth, King Lear, Romeo and Juliet. None of these are comedies. Shakespeare's comedies are never considered to be by scholars. And again, I'm not a scholar. I don't claim to be one. But scholars tend to discount the comedies. They tend to treat them as fluff. Comedy is hard. It's very hard. And this is my argument about the dramas. What makes us cry today is the same things that made us cry 400 years ago in Shakespeare's time. I would argue they're the same things that made us cry when the Greeks were doing theater. We still feel pain over a lot of the same issues. Heartache, loss, life, experiences that break us. These things remain as true dramatic literature and it affects all of us. But what is funny is transitory. It exists in the time it was written. Now my cardinal rule, once again, when you're talking about Shakespeare, remember when it was written. Shakespeare wasn't writing for us in our common sensibilities. He was writing for people 400 years ago. So if you take that into account, think of how amazing it is any of his comedies survived or any of his comedies are still being done. Comedy is not universal. What's funny to us today what may not have been funny to the people generations ago, and certainly that's true vice versa. <laughs> as a father who tried to introduce his teen children to some of his favorite comedies as his youth, I found very quickly that they didn't think that daddy's favorite plays or comedies or movies were necessarily all that funny because they're in a different time. You ever try to go back and watch a really old comedy from 1920s where the language is even different from what we express ourselves with today? It's just not as funny. Comedy exists in the time it is in. Yet Shakespeare does find some universal comedy that he uses over and over again. Mistaken identity, disguise, interception, and very, very quick wit. Shakespeare plays with language in the way French farce writers start to do long after he's gone. Shakespeare finds a way to bring into his characters intelligence, youth, bravado, energy, all of these things that sustain the comedies and make us want to see them today. The very fact that we are still enjoying As You Like It, Much Ado About Nothing, Midsummer's Night Dream, playing May 29th right here in Topeka, Kansas at Lady Shakes. The very fact that we still laugh at all of these things really is a testament to the writer that was William Shakespeare. I must also confess that sometimes I'm very disappointed with my synopsis of these plays. It just doesn't do them justice. You need to go and read them. You need to go and see them. And As You Like It is one you really should see. But I want to give you a little hint of some of the things inside As You Like It that really show a line all the way back to William Shakespeare himself. 
Now, in Act 3, Scene 4, Phoebe refers to whoever loved that loved not at first sight. This is a direct lift from another play, Marlowe's Hero in Leander, which was published around 1598. But this was a line from a play written in 1593, right before Marlowe was killed. Now, Christopher Marlowe, of course, was that person that Shakespeare looked up to, that he admired. And this moment, a little nod towards his mentor, is a really beautiful statement of his continuing affection for a playwright that died too soon. But it's not the only reference to Christopher Marlowe. There's another moment when Touchstone says this phrase, When a man's verses cannot be understood, nor a man's good wit seconded with a forward child understanding, it strikes a man more dead than a great reckoning in a little room. The great reckoning in a little room. Now, the reference of a great reckoning in a little room is kind of like an idea of suddenly being discovered, but being discovered in a small space. Or it could have been an allusion to Marlowe's assassination. It's believed, or at least was put forward, that Marlowe died in a small room in an inn in a dispute over a bill, and he was stabbed. But in Elizabethan England, when you got a bill for your stay, your lodging, food, it would say the reckoning. It was the reckoning of your time here. And so this great reckoning in the little room could be an allusion to the place where Marlowe was assassinated. Some people believe Marlowe was actually a spy for the Elizabethan government, and I think there's some strength to that accusation, and that maybe he was assassinated because he knew too much. Catholicism was the great big danger, and Marlowe seemed to be able to root out who Catholics were and turn them in. In any case, here are two great big references to William Shakespeare's dear friend Christopher Marlowe buried in this play. And finally, I want to talk about what As You Like It is referred to as, and that's a pastoral comedy. Now, that's just not a light mentioning of what it was. That's actually a type of comedy, comedies that were set in a pastoral, natural existence. Pastoral comedies were a very common genre in Elizabethan theater. But all pastoral comedies had certain things in common. First of all, they were centered in love stories. They were always romantic comedies, always love at first sight, Always about the idea that you will find who you need in nature and let nature run its course. But Shakespeare adds a couple of more things to this story. First of all, he adds in the gender mix. He even has Rosalind, who's pretending to be a man, showing this affection to another man. And this man, Orlando, being confused and wanting to return it. This idea of gender swapping roles was not a common one in Elizabethan theater and would also have really flirted with danger. After all, homosexuality was very illegal. Going back to Christopher Marlowe again, though, he was openly gay and willingly spoke about it. So there was certainly some people who seemed to get away with it. And Shakespeare here, if he was really writing this story with a little nod to his great friend Christopher Marlowe, the gender swapping might have also been a little hint towards him as well. He also throws in stories from his histories. Histories he had just finished writing, the Henriad, about usurping and injustice. Here you have Henry IV usurping the king, Richard II, and paying for it all the way through the life of Henry V. And now he turns around and does a comedy where he has a younger brother, Frederick, usurping Duke Sr., which by the way I think is the silliest name ever, Duke Sr. But he usurps Duke Sr., and Duke Sr. goes off quietly into the woods and doesn't fight it. It's very unique in that respect, and it's so easily given up at the end. It's very convenient. 
Frederick himself doesn't even show up again in the play to say that he's giving back the kingdom to his brother. Instead, he marches into the woods to try to find his brother to kill him, experiences a religious experience, and runs off to become a monk, leaving the duchy back in the hands of his brother. Very convenient, and it's all conveyed through the use of a page who is brought to them. And finally, there's one last thing, and that is the theme of forgiveness. Usually in this pastoral comedies, they're all about get the girl. Fall in love, end it. Boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets her back, but all of it's outside. That's the pastoral comedy. Here, he also adds the idea of forgiveness. Duke Sr. immediately forgives his brother for banishing him. Oliver begs for forgiveness from Orlando. Without even a question, he forgives his older brother. He even kills a lion, saving him from certain death. He could have easily stood back and let it happen. Shakespeare adds these themes to this play and even suggests a kind of a change among court life and country life. They start to swap here and you see people acting very courtly in the woods and acting very country-like in the court. This is a wonderful show. So if you get a chance to see it, see it. And it's also a play, which I ran out of time to talk about, which starts to introduce some of Shakespeare's best music. Because now that he's got a clown who can sing, he's going to jump on it. All right, that's all the time I have for this week. I want to thank you all for tuning in to Shannon Shakespeare Sunday. We're going to see you next week as we get closer and closer to those big, big shows. And I thank you all for listening in. Don't forget about Midsummer's Night Dream. And until we see each other again, remember, keep it barred to the bone. <laughs>